Okay, it's good to see each of you here today. I know I talked in the first service and people said, hey, you know, you did that way better than I thought you would. I don't know what that meant in the first place. <laughs> Second part was they said, we just weren't sure we wanted to come to church this month when we start dealing with this kind of uh, terminology and the issues that we're going to be dealing with. But reality is, folks, you just see this everywhere, right? I mean, that, that brokenness, what we're going to look at today, we talk a bit about mental illness. Next week, we'll talk about anxiety. We'll talk about suicide. We'll talk about chronic illness because the church steps in to the brokenness that people have. And that, that's what God's called us to do. We started working on this nine months ago. Little did we know that this summer and then the events of this weekend would happen as we were starting into this conversation. You know, it's amazing to me that even folks who are far from God, whenever there's a challenge in their life in a mental illness or, or another aspect of that, they'll call the church first. Before a doctor, before a counselor, before anybody else, they'll call us. And we may not even know who they are, but they just, they just immediately know that we have this sense of hope in our lives. It's our responsibility. Jesus exemplified it. Scripture says that he came into this world preaching, teaching, and healing. All three of those things were a part of the mission of Jesus. And we as a church ought to be a part of that same mission as we're preaching and teaching and healing and praying over people and asking God to be at work in their lives. So we talk a lot about the state of our hearts, the importance of our hearts belonging to God. But what about our minds? What about our minds? Does God care as much about our minds or is it just secondary to our hearts? I think as we see scripture, we begin to see that God wants our minds and he cares for us there. By the way, you don't have to include this in the online version of this, Mark, but I decided to take a plate of food from the Bhutanese. And so if I just kind of, every once in a while, you'll know what's going on. All right. You, you can laugh. I mean, we're family. Don't we talk about things like this in the family? Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's go. A church that exists to help others, to be the light in darkness, the aim is holistic healing. The need for counseling, the need for medication is necessary, and for the presence and guidance of Jesus. That's what we are about. The creation story there in that very first chapter of Genesis reminds us that God creates light out of darkness. That he brings light, and light's the symbol of hope and new life in Scripture. The Gospel of John proclaims, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The challenge that many people have in their lives today is they're afraid that the darkness continues to close in. And, And if you struggle with mental illness, it feels like the darkness is closing in. Darkness can be terrifying. But the love comes out of the darkness, and this love gradually draws us back into the light of the world as it is the light of Jesus. For persons experiencing a mental illness, we can be instruments of God's love by extending care and compassion and hope to those who are in the grip of darkness and despair. So here's my big idea for today. Whether we are struggling with a mental illness or whether we have friends or whether we are just the person to call alongside, here's the deal. God sees you and is with you. God sees you and is with you. Whether you're struggling with a mental illness, whether you are called to come alongside a person who has a mental illness, or whether you have a friend that maybe you need to have the conversation with, God sees you and he's with you. And so when you start that conversation, God's there with you as well.
Our personal aim in life, according to Scripture, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Yes, Bible bowl. Okay, mind. So every bit of us, heart, soul, and mind, worships God. So what do we mean by mental illness? Well, here's a quick little definition that comes from the National. Mental illness is a behavioral syndrome, a collection of signs and symptoms that results from a response to some objective cause or causes, external or internal, which may be physical or psychological, and these signs and symptoms produce clinically significant impairment in everyday functioning. There's that challenge that every day is just a grind, is difficult, is hard. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in four, one in four adults will experience mental illness in a given year. One in four. Wow. Look around. 100 people, 25 people will struggle with some form of mental illness this year. That comes also from Lifeway Publishing in Nashville, which is a Southern Baptist organization, as they did some of the studies for that. It's interesting to think in terms of anxiety disorder, of attention deficit disorders, of social phobias. Statistics tell us that 18.5% live with anxiety disorder. 42 million adult Americans live with anxiety disorder. I don't mean to be flippant, but for many of my uh, pastoral counselors and counseling professionals, they consider anxiety to be the common cold of mental health. That there is a lot, so much anxiety today. And I know if I had you hold up your hand, that you would have some, I mean, probably everybody in here would be anxious about something. Getting ready to start school. Getting ready to finish vacation. Getting ready to go to work tomorrow. Got to work in the yard this afternoon. Got to, you know, fill it in. We are anxious people. And, and, and that can draw us into darkness whenever we feel like it just continues to be the same over and over again. Statistics also tell us that one in 25 adults experiences a serious mental illness. One in 25. That means for every 100 here, four. Right? Four. Schizophrenia, bipolar, major depressive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, bulimia, anorexia. One in a hundred live with schizophrenia. That's 2.4 million American adults. 2.6% of Americans have bipolar disorder, which is 6.1 million adults. 6.9% suffer from severe depression, which would be 16 million. And 90% of those who die by suicide have an underlying mental illness. That's why we're going to address anxiety and suicide in this series. Because the darkness is real, and we speak into the darkness. Mental illness can end up destroying an individual and their family. What we have is deep, deep problem with hope. We have a hope problem. People believing that because of their mental illness, there is no way out. And only 41% of adults with a mental health condition have received help. Only 41% because, because we don't really want to admit that there's a challenge. Less than 50% of the children 8 to 15 have received mental health services. And, and why is that important? Because 50% of all chronic mental illnesses begin by the age of 14. 
I find that fascinating, by the way, that most people become Christians between the age of 4 and 14. Childhood is a dangerous place. And where's the place that we're encouraging families to make sure that they are healthy there? That we don't just kind of say, well, you know, they're going to grow out of it. There may be some things that need to be addressed. And and statistics also show that 75% of chronic mental illness is evidenced by the age of 24. So early on, paying attention, responding significantly important. Mental illness is a problem, and the church has to be a part of the solution. So I'm going to talk about three ways that we can be a part of the solution. I'm going to talk about three things that may be a challenge in the midst of mental health. And and so buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Where do we begin? First of all, we have to end the stigma of mental illness. We have to end the stigma of mental illness. I I find it hard to believe that when I got prostate cancer in 2011, the number of people that came around me to pray for me, to encourage me, to lift me up, to invite me out to lunch, to do all those kinds of things, that if I had presented a mental illness, most would not have been anywhere to be found. One, because I would have had a hard time talking about it, perhaps. Two, is that we're not really sure about mental illness. There's a stigma there. I mean, there are plenty of reasons why people suffer, and it takes wisdom to identify the right course of action of how to overcome mental health barriers. Sometimes the battle is fought in the mind, and a person needs to go to counseling for a season to navigate the past and talk through hurts. Sometimes it just has to happen. Other times the situation is physical. A person might need to change their diet or their exercise routine or their sleep patterns or get medication. And still other times the situation might be spiritual. A person has exchanged the truth of the gospel for the lies of the world has told them. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too, 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 whatever that might be. Instead of listening to the words of the songs that we sang this morning or the truth of the scripture that we read. See, we believe every other voice other than God's. And that's why God wants us to talk about this. When it comes to physical illness, no one should be... a, a, a No one should be embarrassed about having a cast on for a broken wrist. There should be no shame in mental illness as well. But there is, and that's one of the reasons why people hesitate to seek help. The reasons for mental illness can be both biological and environmental. But mental illness is not the result of personal sin or weak faith. That, that's one of the things that used to go around in the Christian circles, <clears throat> is that, you know, if you haven't sinned, if you, don't, if you had a stronger faith, you wouldn't have these things happen, and that's not true. Well, one of the things that, that I'm noticing is that treatment in today's terms, because of the advancement of some of our work, the DNA testing can help us know what kind of medication works best for us. And it may not be what somebody else takes. I find it fascinating that we love the, the DNA stuff and the work that takes place that helps me find the right antibiotic whenever I'm sick, that helps me pick the right things that will help me if I have a certain cancer. But whenever it comes to mental health, I'm not sure about all that. And yet there's, a great, there's great breakthroughs being taken place there. Mental illness is real and is not remedied by telling somebody just to pray harder, trust God more, or just get your act together. Some of my 
pastoral counselor friends say, we, try, we look for a spiritual bypass. If we can just do a stint real quick, boom, get you out of here. That's not what will help mental illness. You don't tell a man with a broken leg to get up and run, and you don't expect a bird with a broken wing to be able to fly. Intentional healing has to take place in mental illness as well. It's true. Sometimes mental illness is, is in the Bible, is attributed to demon possession, and sometimes that's the truth. I'm not here to discount demon possession, but to highlight that some things are not demon possession. The reason I don't discount it is because I, I, you know, we've been in India, we've been in, in, in uh, Ecuador, we've even been around here where we've dealt with people who've had demon challenges in their lives. But most of mental illness is not that. Unless it's clear or God reveals it to be so, most mental illness is just that, mental illness. Remember again our, our truth for today. God sees you and is with you. So he cares for you as you walk through this deal. There, there are three things that we struggle with in the area of mental illness. So while I've said we've got to take away the, the stigma of mental illness, one of the things we have to address is the hopelessness that a person feels. Hopelessness is like the first, first rung on this whole ladder of why I struggle with mental illness, why it's a stigma. This, this hopelessness idea that there's just no way out. Isn't it interesting that whether it's a physical illness or a mental illness, we have got to have hope in order to walk out of it. Hope that God cares for us and he loves us. And I I recognize with my own personal battle with prostate cancer that a number of people came around to speak words of hope and healing into my life and challenged me to, to step forward in faith with Jesus. The same can be true for mental illness as well. 2 Corinthians 1, 4-5 really tells us how we are to encourage others as we go along. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Notice that, any affliction. It's amazing how God um, inspired the Apostle Paul to write any affliction because there's that tendency to say, okay, if it's a physical affliction, I understand that. But he doesn't say that. He says, any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Notice what it says there. It says we share in Christ's sufferings. It doesn't say we are alleviated and taken out of them. It says we share in his, his sufferings and we also share in his comfort, the comfort that he gives us. So that means we're going to still be walking through some of these things and Jesus shows up to walk along with us. And because he's walked with you or he's walked with me, I can walk along with somebody else. That, that's really a big part of what my life is as a Christian. That's, that's why we challenge people over and over again to be in a life group, to be a part of, of our Monday night um, <clears throat> celebrate recovery where you're together with people. This life is too dangerous to do it alone. Whether that's physically or emotionally, it's too dangerous to do alone. You need to be in a group. Because that's where people encourage you. That's where they help. That's where you get this comfort. You can sign up at a table back in the back at the end of this service. Please get in a group. Get in a group. What I love around this place is whenever somebody goes to the hospital, they may call and say, hey, so-and-so's in the hospital. Can you go visit them? And our staff will go visit them many times. Their small group is there long before we show up. That's what the church is. That's what the church is. 
So though this, this struggle of hopelessness is that first rung, there is more that God can do. Second thing we can do, and that's this, be the church by meeting people in their suffering. You know, we, we get rid of the stigma of mental illness. Now be the church by meeting people in their suffering. That's what that first or second Corinthians says to us. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's not talking about physical crushing at all there. That is mental anguish, mental illness, those kinds of things that keep us down. If that's true for God, he's close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Is it true for us as a church? Do we find ourselves close to those who are suffering? Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear one another's burdens. That's that crushing weight that I can't pick up on my own. Will somebody come along and help me and walk with me? Not sit above me, walk with me. If hopelessness is the first rung, the second rung is helplessness. That that I just can't do this. I I can't get out of this on my own. That that there's nobody here to help me. I'm powerless to move forward. But the truth of that is, Christians, we know there's one who's powerful. And we know that he gives power to his children. And so we have power to walk alongside with somebody who is suffering. We don't have to be afraid. We may not always have all the words. It may just be that it's our presence that God's looking for there at that point in time. It's interesting. I was doing some reading as I was working on this thing. And I went all the way back to World War I. And there was this... Uh, there was this condition and challenge during battle called shell shock. Maybe some of you have read about this. <clears throat> it affected tens of thousands of strong, healthy men who'd become crippled by afflictions, whether that was blindness or deafness or paralysis, with no physical cause. The doctors could not find anything in their body that would cause these particular symptoms. They observed, though, that in certain companies and divisions, there was a higher rate of shell shock than there was in others. And what they found was that units that were badly led were vulnerable to shell shock. But soldiers in well-led units suffered much less because of the focus on fostering good peer relationships. Reason number two to be in a small group. You have a group of people who love you and care for you that when those difficulties come along, you have somebody who's standing there with you. I can remember a few years ago, and of course this is still physical kinds of stuff, but when our, when our daughter in December of 2012 lost a stillborn baby daughter, and to watch people who came around her because she was in a small group, she was in a women's group, she was in a, with a group of, of women who loved her through that time. Since then, Jeanette has said, that's part of my mission, Dad, is to be looking for women who are struggling in that same way that I struggled. We don't do this alone. We don't do this alone. Most effective treatments for shell shock were were three things. Number one, rest reasonably close to the front line. It was never intended. You You don't do better if you get totally away from the war, but if you're just behind the front line. That's true for us in mental illness. It's not that we remove ourselves completely, but that we're close by and there's somebody there walking along with us. The second thing that was helpful for them was a sympathetic acknowledgement of the strain. The fact that you were in a war zone and these kinds of terrible things were happening, of course you're going to react to that. Whenever I think about that in the sense of mental illness, 
that kind of statement that there's a sympathetic acknowledgement of the strain in your life and the challenges that brought about the mental illness helps a person maintain their dignity and their integrity. Every person that we look at and that we see is created by God, is loved by God, and Jesus died for them. They may not have accepted Jesus and brought him into life to let the cross make a difference in their lives, but every one of them is known by God. And and that's why we have to take the stigma out of mental illness, and that's why we have to walk along beside people. Third thing that they said is reassurance that they did not have a permanent illness but would recover. The, The conversation there is that there was hope brought into that conversation. And I hope, and that's the challenge for each of us, is where's the place where we're helping people with hope? That this is not the end of your story. And that you're not defined by the story. You're described by the story here at this point in time. Those who struggle with a mental illness often feel hopeless. That there's no way out of their darkness. And they often feel helpless. That there's nothing they can do about it. And there really isn't on their own. None of us can find light on our own. We need the help of others. People in their pain and suffering will often ask, where's God in the midst of all this? And the answer should come from the presence of people in their lives who are God followers who said, I'm not sure all of your question at this point in time, but we're going to walk along with you as you continue to look for God in these circumstances. That, that's what I need. I need a band of brothers. I need a, I need a segment of sisters that will walk along beside me in the midst of that time. After all, the church represents the one who already has communicated his love, help, and hope to the world by the way he lived and why he died. That's why we can trust those words that we just sang, and we can trust the words that are in, this, in, the, in the Scripture. It's because the one who said, I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to ri- raise from the dead, and he did it, we need to listen to him. And pay attention to what he said. John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That even in the midst of the darkness and the struggle that I have, the truth of that word is, I'm in the light. God is giving me light. Jesus intentionally sought out people who struggled. And we as a church do too. That's why we do celebrate recovery. That's why we encourage people for counseling. Jesus' love and compassion, because of his love and compassion, healing was possible. That's why we pray over the sick. That's why our elders anoint with oil. That's why we listen to God whenever we pray. After all, if all I perceive is darkness, then I'm convinced that darkness is all that exists, and it begins to consume me. But the church is meant to be the light that brings hope in the midst of darkness. There really is a way out. So we bring hope. We bring help. And the third thing, the reality for you guys, is that you and I can have a role in healing. So we've taken away the stigma of, of uh, excuse me, the stigma of mental illness. We said we're going to be the church that meets people in their suffering. And the third thing is you and I can be a part of the healing. We can be a part of the healing. One of the great needs of people who are struggling with mental illness is people who will speak the truth. The best gift you can give to a person is periodically checking in with them and just simply saying, how are you feeling today? Now, sometimes that means reminding them of their health plans, of their medications, of their appointments. 
I find it fascinating how many times people will have something that they're struggling with and then they'll stop the plan. I mean, the same thing would be true if I have a, if I have a physical disease and the doctor says, you need to take this medication for the next seven days in a row. I don't stop three days into it because I feel better. Now, some of us will. We're going, I feel better. I can save that for the next time I get sick, then I can start, right? All you health professionals in there are all going, yeah, that's exactly what happens. The same thing happens to us mental illness at times. We start feeling better, the medication's working, things are doing what it's supposed to do. We've opened the valve and all of a sudden we're that different person because our chemistry's changed and all those things. We go, well, I'm in good shape. Stop taking the medicine. I need people in my life. I can have a role in the healing. I need people in my life who will tell me the truth and say, "Are are you taking your medication? I'm not looking down my nose at you when I ask that question. I know you take medication. Are you taking it? That's, that's the truth. Here's, here's what Galatians 6, 2 says also in verse 5. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For each one should carry his own load. There are two things said in this passage of Scripture. Number one, we carry each other's burdens. That word for burden is a word that really describes a boulder that I can't pick up by myself. I need people to help me in the midst of that time. I can't carry this boulder by myself. That's a burden. The second word, though, says carry their own load, is a, is a word that we would use for a knapsack, you know, a backpack. Put my stuff in the backpack, I can go all over the place. I can hike around, smokies, I can do wherever you want to go. What Paul is saying here is that we help each other with the boulders in our lives, but each of us is to carry our own knapsack. And sometimes I need a person in my life who will tell me the truth that says, you are making your knapsack load a boulder, and I, it's not. I can't pick that up and carry it. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't take your medication for you. I, I can't go to your appointments for you. I can't be your counselor. Those are all things that you can do and you can find. I'll help you. I'll help you get to the appointments, those kinds of things. But I can't, I can't carry your knapsack. That's a challenge with boundaries. And what I watch people in the midst of helping a person with a mental illness is we often get confused there. And we start carrying their knapsack instead of just helping them carry the boulders in their lives. Sometimes I need and you need a counselor or a person who will tell you the truth that says stop carrying knapsacks for other people. Testimony? I mean, we do that. We like to control other people. So we pick up these little incidental things and they start to become dependent upon us and they never get around to their boulders because you keep picking up the knapsack. Don't. That's what this passage is saying. There's a boundary. You help people with their boulders... You let them carry their knapsack, and you challenge them as we go along. We are not called to over-control others. And, and when we listen, when we really listen to a person, it tells them that they're made in God's image and that they are a person of worth. And that's really what people need to hear, because the third thing, I talked about hopelessness, I talked about helplessness. The third thing that most people struggle with in, in mental illness is worthlessness. I, I'm, I'm worthless, I just can't do this. I'm, I'm awful. Here's what Proverbs 18, 24 says. 
One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I need brothers in my life who will tell me the truth. I may not like being reminded that I'm ill, but I do need to be remembered, and maybe it's helpful to ask the question, how well are you doing? How well are you doing? I know that you've struggled. How well are you doing? Sometimes we need to say to people, hey, I've made extra for dinner tonight. I'll be by at 5 o'clock. I've got a casserole or I've got extra chicken or I've got whatever. That in some ways what has to happen here is that we impose our will. But we're not telling people what to do. I'm going to bring some things along that will help you carry your burden. I mean, we do this for somebody who's lost a loved one, who's recovering from a serious illness, who's had surgery. Why not do those kinds of things for people who are experiencing mental illness, difficult time emotionally? It's really easy for us at times to tell other people what they need to do. But when we look at ourselves, it's really hard to see what my next steps are. So the reality is I may have to remind you of your plans. I may have to encourage you as I'm praying over you that there's some things the doctor wants you to do. Are you paying attention to that? Because of body chemistry, some things may need to be restored. Sometimes medication acts as a, as a valve opener, similar to a stent in the heart when a blockage in a, in a blood vessel causes a heart attack. A stent will relieve that. Sometimes the medication in a mental illness opens up the chemical uh, areas that need to take place in your body. That's what needs to happen. That's why you don't stop, you know, you don't take the stint out after one of, my, one of my good friends a month or so ago who's also a physician. I get a text message that says he's, un, he's being air cared down the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's, it's iffy. He goes in, has a stint in his heart, two weeks off of work, which is really, really hard for him to do, and he's back into the fracas again. But he, they didn't take the stint out. It's still in there. That's the same thing as true for us in mental illness. If I'm taking medication, I don't stop whenever I get better. I continue to follow what the doctor might say. I think God's given us some amazing tools to be used today. And, and we need to pay attention to them. We live in an amazing time. Again, realize your mental illness does not define you. It may describe you at this moment, but it does not define you. Scripture defines you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, is what Psalm 139 says. The thing about mental health is that it, it, just, it just isolates people from community. And not only does mental health issues isolate us from the community, but it might, Satan tries to use it to isolate us from God. And yet we know that God says, I'm willing to enter history on your behalf. And that's what we celebrate every week in communion, is a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross and so in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion. So if you're, pre- if you're going to be passing communion elements today, if you go back and prepare for that right now, that's great. That'd be great. Hope is more than a feeling. Hope is more than just finding stability through counseling and medication. Hope is a person. The fullness of hope cannot be found outside of Jesus. So may we represent him well. Here's what I want you to remember. Three things from today. Number one. It's okay to, be, to not be okay, but you can't stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay that way. 
That, that's why we have back in the foyer, we have a table with uh, one of our counseling friends, Kathy Sprinkles, here today. There's information that you can pick up back there. That's why in your program today, we put together the depression scorecard. Uh, it may not be for you, but it may be for a friend. We'll have extras of these. If you want to contact the office, we can send them out. This is put to us by, together by our friends at Counseling Alliance. It will just give you a chance to go, what, you know, what's going on in your life? As it says here, 17.3 million adults will have at least one major depressive episode yearly, and depression can be treated. Are you willing to take the test? Are you willing to open your life up to other people? You don't have to stay that way. God never intended for you to fight your battles alone. Second, you're not less of a person for struggling with mental health. We'd never look at a person with a broken leg and say there's some, you know, they are less of a person for their injury. Same thing's true for mental illness. We live in a broken world. You're not less of a person and certainly not less of a Christian for struggling with mental health. Third thing, you can be the body of Christ by helping others. You can be the body of Christ by helping others. The response time matters. Mental illness can continue to worsen without intervention, especially if one's environment does not change. And so you may be the person that God's asking to shine the light in that person's life, not to try to control them, not to try to change them, but to help them with light. Those three things, one of those three things may be what you need to do today. Take your next step towards healing. Realize that you're not less of a person but having a mental illness. Or third, it's you be the body of Christ in helping others. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's in this moment that we're reminded again of how much you love us, how much you care for us, and how you brought the resources to bear, to care. Father, I pray that uh, you will use these words today to encourage others, to remind them of how deeply they're loved and how much Jesus stands in their corner. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a word today, a word of hope that would help and remind us of our worth. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.